This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. Hello and welcome to episode 237 of the Doctor Who podcast. We've got a rather special edition for you this time around. This is the first live podcast I think we've put out on the main feed almost, almost ever. We're outside the British Film Institute where about 10 minutes ago the closing credits to Day of the Doctor rolled to Yelps and a half-hearted attempt at a standing ovation <laughs> was made. But uh, yeah, it, it was a fantastic experience, but... Let's find out what my companions, I like calling the people I record with companions now. Let's see what they thought of this episode. Hello, Michelle. Hello. Hello, Tony. Hi, James. Hello, Laura. Hello. Well, I'd like to start by taking uh, issue with your description of it as a half-hearted standing ovation. What it was was a whole-hearted standing ovation from about half of the audience. Yes. But I think, I think the general... <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, I agree. yeah. I agree. yeah. <laughs> I think the general opinion in the, in, the, in the house, if I can gauge it, was that this was very much enjoyed. And I absolutely loved it. I, I came in prepared not to love it. I was concerned about some of the directions they were going, showing the time war, throwing in a new doctor we'd never heard of in the midst of the ones that we already knew. And I really, really enjoyed this. I loved it. Yeah, I did too. I, it was not at all what I was expecting. And I don't know what I was expecting. I had preconceptions of a very dark story. And it really wasn't very dark. It was very light. It was very positive. There were some sort of dramatic moments in it, but it was funny. It was uh, historical in parts, which I wasn't expecting. There were monsters. Uh, um, and there was a really fascinating resolution. And it's going to take a long time for me to process it, I think. <laughs> yes. I think I need to watch it again, because I'm not sure where the Zygons went. Well, they didn't. We don't really know where they went. Um. <laughs> because the last time we saw them, it was in the room when they were trying to decide or trying to remember who was human and who was Zygon. And then we didn't revisit that room again. No. That's okay, though, because they were in negotiations. They were going to work it out. I think, I think the indication was that that part of the plot would be resolved. And it was... You know, it was not the main part of what was going on. It was not the main problem in the story. It was really a look into the character of the Doctor, and it was a character study. Um, and and I loved it. I also I loved the way the three different Doctors were used. I loved the way they worked together instead of sniping at each other the whole time. Although there were humorous, there were humorous jests, but they were loving jests. I loved it. I loved uh, it. <laughs> I, I liked it. I'll say that much. I, I, I didn't think it was absolutely fantastic. I thought it was a pretty strong Stephen Moffat episode. And uh, I, I thoroughly got caught up with the ride. I followed the story. I didn't have any major concerns about the addition of uh, an, another Doctor. I thought John Hurt was immense. I thought yeah. he was a fantastic Doctor from almost his first line. I loved how... Rose wasn't back. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think that was a really good decision. And I think Betty Piper actually probably gives one of the best performances I've ever seen her in, in anything. Agreed. Yeah. At the three-quarter point, I think I was prepared to come out and say I liked it. <laughs> because I don't, I can't remember whether it was the Zygons or the Moral Dilemma, but something got a little bit slow at one point. But I think I agree, the, the three Doctors worked really well. And I sort of expected the, everything to get a bit cluttered and them 
but it just they complemented each other well and as you say got on well well I think for the first time in a multi-doctor story you had the characters of the doctors still not knowing what was going on with their own personal timeline and I like the fact that it was Clara who suddenly realised hang on this doctor hasn't pushed the button yet but the thing that I liked about this episode the most without doubt is that Stephen Moffat chooses the 50th anniversary to undo all of what Russell T Davis did the time war now well it came to an end peacefully Gadafrey presumably is in existence the 11th doctor good the 11th doctor (laughs) has now a mission to go on Um, but yeah but anyway a couple of questions what was Tom Baker doing there I didn't quite get that they seemed to say he was a curator and then they kind of alluded to him being the doctor but then talked about him being the curator and it didn't make sense because the doctor wouldn't get that old and he wouldn't be curating a museum well that was pretty much my reaction as well and and also there was lots of whooping in the audience at various points as you would expect and the first line was from Tom Baker got obscured so that may well have actually explained it but we have to bear in mind time crash where Peter Davison was suddenly much older and there was an explanation for that Um, but I think that it was genuinely what would have happened if the 11th Doctor and Tom Baker now had a conversation in a museum and I'm pretty sure that they just pointed cameras at Tom Baker um, and let him talk for a bit. So is that clever or is it a bit silly? It was, it's interesting. I'm sure there will be theories. I think it is purposely ambiguous. I don't think we're supposed to know what was going on and I don't mind that I don't know. I think the whole thing was a little bit meta and sort of yeah. almost breaking through the fourth wall, was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, at times. But I think that was fine for this one episode because it was a celebration of the 50 years. So it was fine that they kept referring to each other's foibles and Hurt kept talking about the things that the other two do that's a bit more modern and emotive. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good, the Doctor interplay, which is always strong and very present in the multi-Doctor stories. And Hurt was a lot funnier than I was expecting. I was expecting a yeah dark, distressed Doctor, but he wasn't. I think that's what we got at the beginning of the story, I think towards the end, because clearly, you know, he hadn't got to the point that the 10th and 11th Doctors could remember, you know, so they had that element of dark and melancholy and so on, but don't you think, bearing in mind they've spent all of, what, nearly three regenerations now, three incarnations, lamenting the fact that they've killed everybody, that all of a sudden oh no, we could just go back and not do it after all. But the reason that they didn't do it was this moment, this device, that he was going to use anyway. So the whole thing must be a paradox. Yes. So it never really happened. So they were convincing themselves that they were a bad person when they weren't. Exactly. So that must be quite annoying, knowing that you spent 400 years kicking yourself for something you didn't actually do. Yeah. But the neat thing is that they did account for the fact that their personalities would have been completely different if they'd remembered that they'd saved the world, or the Gallifrey. Well, they would have been different incarnations. And I have to think, halfway through, I thought, oh, this is how he's going to get round the limited number of regenerations, because everything from nine onwards was in a slightly different timeline, and perhaps we were going to go back to, you know number nine but no he didn't do that but I I did get from about halfway I suddenly thought right they are definitely trying to rewrite a lot of what's been established in series one and two and I'd like to address that because right from the start although it was interesting to make the doctor the last time lord and and the lonely angel um, I always missed Gallifrey I loved the culture of Gallifrey I loved the way the doctor 
had to be a little bit careful of what he did, and there was the potential that, that these more powerful people could, could call him to account if need be. Uh, the stories where he went to Gallifrey were always some of the most interesting. So there is that. I'm, I'm really thrilled about the potential for Gallifrey coming back. But more than that, this weight that he's been carrying around, this guilt and his survivor's guilt, you, you know, it was interesting for the start of the story arc but I was getting pretty tired of living with it year in and year out. And one of my concerns about the show the last couple of years is how dark it's gotten. It just, you know, it's particularly looking at the poor companions that have traveled with him, it just doesn't look like a lot of fun. And when I come to Doctor Who, I want it to be fun. I want it to be adventure. And for the first time with, with, with the story arc that this sets up now, where the Doctor has a positive goal to go after... Um, I'm excited about the show in a way that I haven't been for a couple of years. Well, I'll say I'm excited about the possible direction that the show is going in, and I always thought the casting of Capaldi would necessitate the um, change in the way the stories were going to be told. However, I have liked that element of darkness and slight melancholy on the Doctor's part. I like the self-loathing, you know, you experience. It uh, makes me feel better about myself. I mean, I've spent the last two weeks with you, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there should be an element. I mean, you can't yeah. lose that. You need, you need the darker currents, but they need to be balanced by the lighter things, too. And I think I, there yeah. has been a fairly good balance between serious storytelling. And I think it's true in this story as well. There's a lot of serious discussion long scenes between characters that are not comedic in nature yeah you've got your quips and you've got the scenes where there's lots of quips but this story was very slow in pace I thought it was going to be much much faster yeah I agree the first hour or so I was thinking uh, are we going to see anything where's this going yes we're in history and we're in modern day Britain and uh, you know there's a bit of back and forth with time and stuff but I can't see this story developing and there's this John Hurt character who seems to be a nice funny doctor but with a bit of a sad thing in his eyes and I, I, what's going to happen when's it actually going to get to some meat and it did all come in the end but it was it, it just took a little while in getting there not that that was a bad thing I kind of enjoyed the slow exploration but um, it was cinematic in a way I think that perhaps um, in terms of the pace of the storytelling rather than just the visuals I think the visuals were quite impressive not just the computer graphics but certainly the desert planet that John Hurt made his entrance into where was that supposed to be incidentally Chroma Tatooine Tatooine <laughs> right. I, was, I was actually picturing it as one of the outer wastelands of Gallifrey yeah. uh, but well, wasn't it supposed to be the second city just Arcadia was ah yeah and it was after it was after it had all been demolished I, I pictured it because I think that that event was still happening in the city. We see it yeah. flashed, you know, we see, see it gone to. Um, I, it could have been a completely different planet, but I, for the sake of the drama, I think it was Gallifrey, and I think it was just one of the, one of the outlying desert areas of Gallifrey. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about the two key moments in this for fans, I would say. We didn't quite get Christopher Eccleston in, but we no. got as close as it was technically possible, I think. I, I was surprised they didn't find a way to CGI just the ears popping out or something oh, yeah. like that um, just to show that you know this is where it's going because there's always that possibility now of you know regenerations in between John Hurt and Christopher Eccleston because we didn't see a kind of you know the final denouement there. Oh, I think we saw the essence or the outline at least of Eccleston's face didn't there, you? didn't okay. we? Oh, yeah. Well, and, and I, there was the line about the ears. I hope the yeah. ears. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, yeah. I know what they were getting at, but it would have been nicest to see 
his face pop out at the end. It would have been nice to see Christopher Eccleston full stop. Yes. And uh, I've, I've, um, I've, I've felt quite bad in the past because I felt as if he should have been in there. I mean, what harm would it have done him? But yeah. I can't help still feeling that, which is a really bad thing. It's totally unjustified. What right do I have to tell anybody what they should do in their career? Yeah. Well, <laughs> what about telling him what the career, career-wise? It's just like, you know, why wouldn't he? Most people would for, like, two minutes. It's yeah. not like a massive chunk of the day out or anything do you think you'd have watched it tonight <laughs> no. No. I don't no. know. but it was very clear we we spent the day today at the doctor who celebration event and uh, moffat and matt smith were on stage at the same time and it was very clear that moffat is frustrated by the fact that's putting it nicely frustrated by the fact that uh, that he couldn't get eccleston back for this he he made a comment to uh to Matt Smith, Matt was asked, would he return? And Matt said, you know, in a heartbeat, I'd come back anytime you wanted. And Moffat was very clear and said directly to him, if you are ever asked back for an anniversary, say yes. And there was a lot of undercurrent to that comment. I, I think it was one of those occasions where the undercurrent was more obvious than the words he were actually saying. He, he just basically said he was really frustrated. Although having said that, had Eccleston been in this story I don't think we'd have just seen the story that we've watched. It no. would have been a no. different story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Peter Capaldi is the second point. Yay! Yes, yeah. That got one of the biggest cheers of all. I, you uh, jumped in your seat. I did! I did. And, <laughs> and you squeaked. I, I was just, yeah, I, I may have made an involuntary noise did, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't do that. I, 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 I clapped. Yeah. I clapped, I know that much, but uh, I, I suppose now we have now seen all 13 incarnations yeah. of the Doctor. In the same 90-minute programme. In the same shot, the same yeah. camera shot at the ends. And I, I hold that they should keep the existing number in. Hurt should be the 12th, because it's timey-wimey, and then Capaldi's 13. It is going to be a problem fitting Hurt into uh, a naming con- con- convention. Why? It's, it's, it's 1 to 13. I'm sorry. It's very straightforward for me. Yeah, but so we, Matt- ca- we can't rejig it. Why not? Because then everything that's there already, you'll be like, oh, which one do I mean? But that's only a problem for fans who are concerned about numbers. He's the same Doctor. We have seen the eighth Doctor regenerate yeah. into John Hurt. Yeah. We have seen John Hurt well, regenerate yeah. into Christopher yeah, Eccleston. that's assuming that time is just a single line it doesn't have to be it's more like a ball of string it's isn't more like it? a ball of string right. and when you roll it up and squidge it together it just changes I now yeah. feel like I'm one of Brian Cox's lectures where I'm scratching <laughs> my head going but Hurt was obviously in the continuity there was no yes. rewriting of timelines there yeah. was no, no this didn't really happen or it did happen but now it's deleted from history he was there he was a doctor he's a regeneration he's in the timeline we're going to have to redraw some posters and uh, scrap a lot of books. Um, Fine because, by me. Yeah, because history <laughs> needs rewriting. My, my point is that people who don't care, don't care. They okay. just go, it's the Doctor before or after that one, which is fine. In terms of naming them, we shouldn't rename David Tennant to be the 11th Doctor because that would just be really confusing and it's, all those books will be wrong. It would certainly be confusing. What books? You mean the reference books? Yeah. Not any book. And things, oh. like, things like where you get a box set of books that say the... the Seventh Doctor series or something. But if you're um, Stephen Moffat, you're executive producer, and you have the opportunity to make about 40 years' worth of reference books wrong, (laughs) would you not giggle or hoot with laughter at the the idea of doing that? I think I'd just enforce the fact that it should be number 12 and really annoy people, (laughs) and then say, no, Capaldi's not 12, Capaldi's 13. 
Well, was he cast before Capaldi? He was, wasn't he? Yeah. So let's just do it in casting order. Exactly. And therefore, he is the 12th yeah. Doctor. Thank you, That's okay. And you, well, you had that dangerous look in your eye. I, I had yep. to find a way of agreeing with you. But uh, sorry, I'd say we only really saw a sort of quick cutaway shot of Capaldi, didn't we? So presumably that was kind of slotted in relatively last minute. It was his eyes minute. and above. Yeah. yeah, it might even have been a clip from uh, the thick of it, for all we know. <laughs> I, I think it had a TARDIS background yeah, behind I think it, him. I think it did, but so yeah. Oh, and we got the roundels. We got the yeah. roundels back. Yeah, weekly. Yes. <laughs> I, I really liked John Hurt's TARDIS, yeah. and I'm going to call him John Hurt now, just so I don't get his number wrong. But uh, <laughs> I, I think certainly. The new, the new TARDIS he had there. I loved his sonic screwdriver. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. I loved the clever little way the three doctors together were talking about how it's going to take 400 years to figure yeah. out how to get the door open, and it wasn't even locked. But that was a nice follow, a uh, nice lead into them doing the same thing later. Yes, yes, it was. Oh, everything was made sense well, here, yeah. except from the fact that. Matt Smith blew up David Tennant's sonic screwdriver in his first episode. Yeah, I did wonder if that had ever happened. I couldn't remember yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah, well, in the, the, tar- the TARDIS probably had the programming program because the TARDIS yes, created the next one. I'm sure right. the TARDIS would have kept that calculation running. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there we go. He's a sensible time lord. Yeah. He takes backups. I think it actually takes. I think it's a reflection when you try and retcon some of these problems after <laughs> you talk about an episode. You don't generally bother if you don't enjoy the episode. Yeah. So I think that's probably a good. A good sign as well. So. Twelve Tardises, thirteen Tardises flying around Gallifrey, um, and the little moments, the little clips. We did actually see a clip of Eccleston full screen, um, and then Doctors One to Eight in little kind of roundels floating around. Yeah. In roundels, yeah, in roundels. Yeah, great. Well. Um, and yeah, that bit kind of pushed me over the edge. I think that was that was just uh, <laughs> stupid grins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's quite an achievement in your seat. Well, I, I genuinely wasn't expecting to see. Uh, do- anything before Eccleston on screen in this at all. I thought there might be sort of nods and mentions, and, and we- there were some earlier in the episode, which I'm sure we can mention as well, but I wasn't expecting them to be involved to that extent, that they were albeit, you know, in fuzzy little blobs, but they were flying their TARDIS around Gallifrey, they're actively participating I, in I the know. story. I, and I agree. I mean, I, I thought after we had the pre credit sequence of Name of the Doctor... And the that opening would... credits with the... the wee using the old the we yeah, the, the, the title and oh, yeah, it started with the 1960s title sequence that and and in 3D yes. that was uh, that was, that was cool. fun yeah i mean lo- lots of people have been talking about 3D or this episode being in 3D and not being particularly excited about it for me it added an immense amount yeah. it, it, was, it was the first thing that I'm really, really glad I've seen in 3D. Yeah, and it really worked well. The glasses that the BFI provided to us were really good quality, and uh, after the first couple of minutes, I was just totally used to it. I yeah. didn't feel I was missing out on anything by watching it in 3D. No, I, I think I was gaining things. Yeah. I think I'd have missed things if it was in 2D this time as well. So, yeah. And I think clearly not only was it looking really good, it was part of the story. You know, you yeah. had these 3D paintings, which I think are fantastic. bit Harry Potter, but still looked really, really good. No, I think you can draw the conclusion that the Time Lords would be capable of that technology. I mean, this is one of the cases where I thought the the pseudoscience speak worked, given their technology. I mean, yeah, if you can have a a TARDIS that's bigger on the inside than the outside, why not a picture? So, yeah, it worked for me. Danny mentioned in the SFX talk this morning about how one of his two favourite scenes or hardest scenes ever was in tonight's shot and I can see why now because that scene on Gallifrey when they're blowing up Daleks and there's fire everywhere I don't think we've seen anything quite so Star Wars level effects before 
I mean, this was shown in cinemas as well, and you can see why. Because it was Hollywood. Now, I'm sure they had a big budget this time as well, or bigger than usual. But, my goodness, did they use it. It felt epic. And uh, I I loved it. I thought it was really, really good. Do we need to comment about Moffat poking fun at unit dating as well? Um, Operation Chroma, of course, being a reference to the Three Doctors. And then either the 70s or the 80s, depending on which dating protocol you use, was uh, a nice little line. Um, I thought the whole unit thing was quite good. It wasn't very military unit. It was more kind of sciencey unit, which is good. I don't like lots of people running around with machine guns in Doctor Who, really. Um, but yeah, lots of little nods, pictures. I'm um, picture of the Brigadier from Battlefield. That was really nice. Um, and you know, it was a picture of Chameleon at one point, which I thought was really. Excessive. Oh, I didn't pick that out. Oh, I yeah. didn't at all. No. So, uh, what, what do you think about these messages through history? Now, that, that's happened quite a lot in Moffat stories, usually with River Song. Uh, is that something that's been used too much, do you think? Or I love it. I, I, it could be used too much, but somehow in the context of this story, it made perfect sense. Um, and, and no, I was willing to, to give it a pass in this story. What did you think of Joanna Page as uh, Elizabeth I? Yeah, I wasn't entirely certain. I mean, this was the comedic element, wasn't yeah. it, to the story? You know, the Tenth Doctor getting married to Elizabeth I. I'll do that one because that was a line. Yeah, give that to me. That was a line that really bothered me in oh, what well, that was the end of time part one, I think, where where he shows up on the Ood world and has this casual. It bothers me that he was running around when he should have been living up to his responsibilities after Waters of Mars. Anyway, <laughs> but but that line really bugged me. And so to see it tonight in context, well, here's how the story really went, made me much, much, much happier because I can believe him getting married to Elizabeth I in the context of what we saw tonight. So it it solved that sin, too. There's a lot of things that that had bugged me that this actually resolved for me. Well, whatever makes you enjoy End of Time more (laughs) has got to be a good thing, frankly. Uh, Joanne Page, I thought, was a bit blackadder. Um, yeah. yeah, she was a little Miranda Richardson. Yeah. Yes, that was it. And yeah, it, it, mostly that was okay, but I think it got more so as it went along, and I wasn't quite so convinced then. I'm, I'm, I'm quite pleased that the whole Zygon thing was quite important. It was, it was setting up. I mean, I know they didn't feature in the second half, <laughs> but they, they set up the first part of the story, and I thought that worked really well. I had a feeling they were going to be used purely for comedic value, and that wasn't the case. I thought the redesign was very, very faithful. Yeah. I like the way even you saw the storage unit for the original humans, uh, so which was again straight out of terror. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think it was uh, it was a good celebratory story. It had a deeper, a, a, a more complex plot than I thought it was going to have, and I think certainly the ending when I watch it again is something that I'm going to enjoy again and again and again. I think it had an overall sort of feeling a bit like the Christmas specials, except that it was better than the Christmas specials usually are. Lots of fan service, I think, this time, yeah. whereas the Christmas specials can be very standalone indeed. Yeah. Um, but certainly, the, the, one of the things that wasn't addressed was the regenerations limit, so presumably we've still got that to uh, look forward to. I thought early on, right at the very beginning, he said the Doctor lives forever, because at the time I thought, ah, that's the, the regenerations thing fixed. Yeah, but he's claimed that before. He claimed that in the Tomb of Cybermen. And we so know it's rubbish. Right. I think he said practically forever. Uh, or something bar- like barring that. accidents. Barring accidents, yeah. that was it, yeah. yeah. But we'll, we'll see. 
but you know we have that still to, to, to face maybe he finds Gallifrey and the Time Lords very generously give him a whole heap of extra regenerations for finding them again what like a nice reward yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I like it yeah. I think they're going to be spitting when they cut out <laughs> yes I agree you froze us it's a bit like like Superman 2 isn't it <laughs> putting them in a mirror well this is it I, I, I think I am going to have to try and re-watch End of Time now where the Time Lords will pull down to the draw again mm just temporarily and then put back again how does that work but I'm not even going to try and get my head around that like you Tony I want to take a bit of time to process this anyway thank you companions uh, for joining <laughs> me in the outside camper van for this episode of the Doctor Who podcast I'll be joined later on this week where you'll get to hear what Leeson Tom and perhaps somebody else thought of this episode as well so make sure you keep checking back on the feed to see if there's yet another episode of the Doctor Who podcast Bye for now, everybody. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to a live episode of the Doctor Podcast with James, Michelle, Tony and Laura. You can find more episodes of the show at thedoctorwhopodcast.com or drop by Twitter, Facebook or the Doctor Podcast forums and say hi to the team. Happy anniversary, everyone. See you later.